your name. Amen. Every year, Amanda and I set for ourselves a goal. Uh, We want to watch every single one of the Oscars Best Picture nominees. I think I've talked about this before. This year, we got really close. We saw eight of the ten. Uh, We missed Avatar and Women Talking, uh, both movies that we plan to go back and watch later. But my favorite, personally, in the movie that ended up winning Best Picture was the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And if you were watching the Oscars, it became really clear early on it was going to win everything. It won Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Actress. I mean, it just, it felt like it wasn't a sweep, but it felt like it was going to be a sweep. But one of the things that made this movie so great and so compelling was that it, it really focuses on two characters. And it focuses in particular on the existential crises they're having. And in our household, we love a good existential crisis. The first woman, though, is this woman named Evelyn. Evelyn is an older Asian woman who runs a laundromat with her husband. And her life feels like she's stuck in this infinite loop where nothing new ever happens, nothing changes. And she seems very dissatisfied in her work and in her relationships. And she wonders what could have been. And the movie takes this big turn when she's invited into the multiverse. And the multiverse is a fancy way of saying that all of a sudden she can experience every possibility her life could have taken. So what if she had never gotten married, never opened her laundromat, never had children? All of a sudden, she can experience all of these things. I think we all know this feeling, right? You can call it regret when you look back and go, what if I had done something different? What if I had made different decisions? Evelyn, by the way, learns that every other life she could have lived is more interesting than the current one. She's a movie star in one life. She's a, a pinky martial artist in another life. It's a weird movie. But there's this other character that the movie focuses on. The other character is Evelyn's daughter, Jobu. Jobu, we learn, exists in every universe at once. So she doesn't have to deal with the regret of not being able to experience different versions of her life. Instead, she gets to experience everything, everywhere, all at once. Hence the name of the movie. And I think what really resonates about this movie for people, besides the fact that the acting is great and the design is really cool, is actually this second crisis. Maybe you're thinking, well, having infinite possibilities isn't a crisis. But it, it kind of has become one for people. So think about it this way. Uh, we today have the ability to access all of the information that has ever existed in human history. And we access it on a device that we carry in our pockets. And quite frankly, I got an Apple Watch last week. I have it on my wrist. I can ask this what Socrates would say and it will tell me. But we have the ability to learn anything, to do anything, to experience anything. If you're bored at home one night, you can flip on the TV. You have access to an infinite number of TV shows. 
If you want to express yourself artistically, there's an app for that. You want to write poetry? Go find the subreddit poetry and you can post whatever you want there. You want to go visit a far off land and discover new things? You can find all the resources from some travel guru that's done it all and knows all the best places to go. You want to learn the Bible? The world's best scholars have produced videos and courses to explain all of it to you. Now, maybe this sounds like a dream come true, a world in which every desire you have can be fulfilled in an instant. But in the movie, this is exactly what Jobu experiences. So Evelyn feels completely trapped in the world, but Jobu feels no restrictions at all. And this is what leads to her despair. If, you, if anything and everything is available to you at all times, and it's simply up to you to decide for yourself, well, what's the greater meaning of anything? What's the point of all of it? And think about this in terms of economics. Does everybody remember their economics 101 class? Supply and demand is the way that a market controls prices. Demand is directly correlated. So the more people want something, the more they'll pay for it. Makes sense. But supply is just the opposite. The more there is of a thing, the less people will pay for it. So think about this in a world in which the supply of meaningful experiences, of movies and TV shows that tug on your heartstrings, of, of music that energizes your spirit, of great meals and big TVs and social media, so you can constantly have your voice heard. What happens when the supply of these meaningful experiences goes up? Well, the value of each individual experience goes down. We live in a world in which a lot of people struggle with this, especially young people. We've seen in our society a spike in mental illness and anxiety and depression among teenagers. There are all sorts of explanations about why this is happening. I don't think anybody's nailed it down, but, but this movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, is providing this philosophical explanation. There is something missing in many people's lives today. A greater purpose. Something that we can live for that is greater than ourselves. And so while we have access to more content, what makes life meaningful is becoming harder and harder to nail down. And as humans, it's easier to lose sight of the greater purposes that we live for. And we're going to hear in our scripture today the story about an institution losing sight of its greater purpose. We're going to be hearing a rather rash critique of the temple system carried out in a very aggressive way by Jesus. But what he's critiquing is not the sacrificial system itself. What he's critiquing is the way in which it has lost sight of its true greater purpose. So let's hear our scripture today from the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, 
but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard, the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, you have read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies. You have prepared praise for yourself. He left them, went out to the city of Bethany and spent the night there. May God bless this reading. All right, I want to take a moment to defend the money changers and people selling things in the temple. Uh, When you hear this story, it can become really easy to think that Jesus is upset with people selling stuff in the temple. But there's just something a little bit different going on here. These people are not merchants. Right? The text says that there are people selling doves and that there are money changers. And here's what you have to understand. It was customary during the festival season in Jesus' time to come to the temple and perform sacrifices. The temple in Jerusalem is the only place where sacrifices are performed. So people are traveling great distances to come to Jerusalem to perform their sacrifices. Now folks are traveling a long way And you're not going to travel with live animals. Like, think about how hard it is to travel with your kids. And, like, throw a donkey or whatever into that, you know. It's hard. It's not easy. And so the sensible thing to do would be to get to Jerusalem and buy your animal there. And so we hear that folks are in the temple selling doves, a sacrificial animal. So now let's make this even more complicated. Across the vast Roman Empire, there is not one currency. There just isn't. It's not like the U.S. where we all have the dollar or in Europe where they all have the euro. And so people come to the temple and they don't have the right kind of currency. And so money changers are setting up in the temple and they're trying to help folks out. Now, when you exchange money, what is true today was true then. There's a fee Uh, Rome never passes up an opportunity to put a tax on something. So you also have to pay taxes to Rome. So you have this whole system set up to help people get the animals they need for the sacrifices. So why is it that Jesus is so upset at this necessary service? And this is why I think he's actually less mad at the money changers It has to do more with what this process has done to the focus of the temple. You see, the purpose of the sacrificial system in the Torah is to restore relationships. There has been some kind of a transgression, maybe against your neighbor, maybe against God. This is stuff that every society has to deal with. What happens when we cross one another? What happens when we cross God? And in Judaism, this system, this sacrificial system is intended to restore relationships. The money changers, those who sell animals and everything else is meant to be a means to the end of restoring relationships. But what happens when the means become the end? 
when suddenly the restored relationships aren't as important as the transactions themselves? What happens when the sacrificial system becomes the sacrificial industrial complex? And suddenly lots of money is being made. You can see the focus of the temple becomes distorted. Now all that matters is that the sacrifices are made. But what of the restoring relationships? What of making things right between people and God? So Jesus goes into the temple and he flips the tables because he sees that things are not as they should be. That the sacrificial system has become about the process, that it has lost sight of its purpose. The restoration of relationships. So here's the thing, though. Uh, this problem is really not unique to Jesus' time. It is very human to get the purpose for things mixed up. You know, we do things, accomplish tasks, seek a certain end, but over time we lose sight of the end and place a heavier weight on the tasks. You know, churches struggle with this. Right? What is our purpose as a church? We know that the work we do here relies on resources, and the easiest way to measure church resources is to count the people in the seats and the money in the offering plate. And those things are resources that we and every other church need. We need money to pay the staff and to support the missions, to carry out the programs. And we need people to bring energy and their voice and their relationships. But if we're not careful, we forget that neither of those things is exactly why we exist. We exist for the glory of God, to announce God's kingdom, to be a sign of a different way of living, to remind people that they belong to a loving God who will not abandon them. To remind people that living like Jesus is the key to a new life. Getting people in the door can be a help towards that mission. Having access to more funds can help towards that mission, but, but those things are means to the greater end. They are not the end in and of themselves. And churches really struggle when they mix this up. Worship becomes about entertainment. All of our success becomes about measuring numerical participation. Worship becomes about preference. And we start to lose sight of what we're really supposed to do to proclaim God's greatness while drawing people into a relationship with Jesus. There's a pastor out in California who tweeted the short conversation he had with the parishioner following worship. The pastor's name is Francis Chan, and, and he said that somebody came to him and said, Pastor, I didn't like worship this morning. And Chan says he responded, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. And it's not just churches that mix up their purpose. We do it individually as well. You know, what are the higher purposes that we live for? What do we give ourselves to because it's a core belief we have and not simply because it's what our desire at this moment says we want? Or you could ask, what are we willing to sacrifice for? Anybody who has children understands this. 
Think about it. Raising kids means you don't enjoy the freedom you had pre-children. You don't get to sleep in. You don't have any more days off. You don't really get to choose how you spend your time. Suddenly, all of those options you had before you had kids, you have less of those now. And yet, raising children is a constant reminder of the higher purposes that we live for for passing on traditions and teaching life lessons, for sacrificing our own needs for the sake of another, for the importance of care and compassion. There's also absolutely no better way to understand God's grace than to help raise a child. Can you imagine your child ever doing anything that would make you stop loving them? That's what grace is. So children do something to us that Jesus does in the temple. They turn the tables, sometimes literally, but I mean figuratively, turn the tables. They call us back to our true purpose. They remind us that the means of our call, the diaper changing, the reminding kids to brush before bedtime, the trips to soccer games, all of those things exist to serve a greater end, the gift of raising new life. But there are all sorts of other ways that the tables of our lives get upended. Moments when we are reminded what what we are truly about, what really matters, and what is just stuff. At the end of everything, everywhere, all at once, Evelyn reminds Jobu that in the midst of a chaotic and seemingly meaningless world, that they can find a purpose in companionship, in love, and in kindness. It's a scene in the movie that, that feels like the tables are flipping in each of their minds. And suddenly they see in the midst of this seemingly meaningless universe that they can find something more, something greater, their love for one another. As a church and as Christians, we have to constantly be reminded of the same thing. That what matters isn't worship style, isn't the programs or the platforms. It isn't how many people show up on Sunday or how much money we bring in. Those things serve their purpose. Absolutely. We shouldn't abandon them altogether. But none of those things is the most important. So we have to remember that we only exist for and because of Jesus Christ and the message of love and acceptance that he came to preach. We need to be reminded of this in our own lives, that your life, that your presence has a deeper meaning, that you are not someone's means to an end, but that you are the beloved called to participate in God's kingdom. So in a world in which we can have everything, everywhere, all at once, in which it is increasingly difficult to find meaning and purpose among all the noise, Jesus is inviting us to be part of something greater. Sometimes it looks like the quiet moment of prayer when we reorient our day, when we leave the noise and find stillness. Then sometimes it looks like a parade 
marching down the street, announcing the kingdom of a loving and merciful and compassionate God, shouting, Hosanna. Blessings to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So whatever it looks like to you, I hope that you will recognize that there is meaning and purpose in our lives together. But sometimes we have to be reminded of it. Sometimes we have to have someone come and show us the way. And sometimes we need the tables to be flipped. Amen. As we gather for worship today, we invite you to connect with us.